Oh man, what's going on? What's up, Trey? Not a lot. So uh, 49ers are going to crush Green Bay, huh? Yeah, I think that's the one because there's, I feel like there's a game every year where somebody surprises us in the wild card and then they come out and show their true colors or show who they really were the next round. Um, And it's not that I don't think Green Bay is a good team. I just don't know if they're ready for this spot. I don't know if they're ready for what they did to the Cowboys, the inevitable letdown. I mean, honestly, pretty similar to what Zay and, and Chip were just talking about with Detroit, the issues that that they could run into with just such an emotional game, such an emotional win. Stafford coming back, first playoff, you know, home playoff game in 30 years. You win by one point. I mean, that place was absolutely electric. Um, and I think Green Bay, obviously they weren't at home, but similarly emotional win. You clobber the Cowboys in the manner that they do. Kind of a vindication win for Jordan Love, or at least a – arrival onto the scene win for Jordan Love and um and now you got to go play a rested and healthy 49ers team. Yeah. Healthy is huge with them because of the way they play. Yeah, because no they want to they want to play 80% bully ball and then they want to throw it over the top on you with, you know, Ayuk and hit Kittle over the middle on some of those seam routes or crossing routes or whatever. So uh yeah, I just I I worry a little bit about this one for Green Bay. Yeah, use Debo in a thousand different ways. One thing I'll say about Green Bay, even though there was emotion to that win, the fact that they won going away like that, like that game wasn't as close as the final score indicated, and the final score was ugly. The Cowboys scored 16 points in the fourth quarter when the game was done, and everybody in the building knew it. Um, San Francisco is really good. Like yeah. That's the reality. And Jordan and, Love played almost perfect. Yeah, and no, then- he, he played a great game, and he also... I won't say lucky, but like he had a bad underthrow on a guy who was wide open that if the DB was anywhere closer, might've had an interception. Those are the sorts of plays that the 49ers will make. Not the sorry choking Cowboys who uh, are what we thought they were, I guess, heading into the postseason or some of us BK who has a uh, really bad Dallas Cowboys stress disorder. <laughs> he was right in what he predicted last weekend, seeing the Packers and seeing the Cowboys in the playoffs. He knew to expect bad things and he was right. But I, I feel like if there is a team between Baltimore and San Francisco, Cisco, uh, Cisco, that's more likely to have rust because both teams were off last week. Both teams rested most of their important starters in week 18. If there is a team between those two that I expect to have rust, it's Baltimore. But I don't think Baltimore is going to sh- show that many signs of rust either. Yeah, and I, I think on that note, the the biggest drive of the game for both teams in that Packers-Niners game is the first drive that the Niners have the ball. Because mm-hmm. you give Kyle Shanahan two weeks to script an opening drive, two drives, three drives, however many plays he he likes to script a game with. You give him that much time. And if the Niners just march down and make it look so easy, even if the Packers have already scored, even if it's three, nothing Packers, seven, nothing Packers, the Niners just march down on that first drive and score a touchdown with relative ease. I think for one of the younger teams, I think the youngest team, I think the Packers are the youngest team in the NFL. Yep. That, that could be tough to overcome. Like, Hey man, we did this last week, but like that was the Cowboys and the Cowboys have their, you know, their, cowboy label of maybe not always showing up in the playoffs and choking choking it away when it matters most like this is the Niners and I know they've had their issues in the Super Bowl 
uh, when they lost to the Chiefs a couple years ago and, and couldn't hold that lead. But and then Shanahan, obviously later or previously when he was with the OC with the Falcons. But I, I just think that this Niners team's going to be too much. And that that first drive, the Niners have the ball, like I said, is going to be incredibly telling for how that game is going to go. And for the Ravens, I worry a little bit on the other side with the underdog, the Texans as, as an underdog. Is this the first game in a while that I believe that CJ Stroud's played outdoors, at least really meaningful. These last two, mm. these last two games, the playoff game against the Browns and then the win and you're in on the road against the Colts, both indoor stadiums. And the last time, or one of the last times I remember CJ Stroud going on the road outdoors was against the Jets. They lost that game 30 to six. I don't think he finished it. I don't know how healthy he was. Um, that could have been the start of when he was injured and missed a couple games, but still I, that's what I would worry about a little bit. But that said, I do I do have the Texans. So what you're saying about the Packers being that team that's kind of fooling everybody into thinking that they're going to do more this weekend than they are is how I'm starting to feel about the Texans, unfortunately. Mm. I hate that because this is a fun Texans team to watch. I love seeing my family and friends in Houston uh, getting to celebrate a fun football team that's winning games in January. Wish I could do that, but I'm an Oilers fan. And until the NFL gives the Oilers back to the city of Houston, fuck you, NFL. <laughs> um, but uh, but I also am wondering, just because the uh, the conditions, to your point, are going to be a little bit gnarly tomorrow. It's going to be cold, highs in the low to mid-20s, and it's supposed to be windy right now too, which takes away an important element of C.J. Shroud's game, his ability to hit the deep ball coupled with Baltimore being the much better run team, I think lends itself to a Baltimore winning pretty handily right now. Because I hear a lot of people bringing this up. And look, it's valid. It is. I've asked this question at some point this week too, but I guess this is just where I am in this whole process. Baltimore's been off for three weeks. The last time that they were off for this amount of time, they had a very similar situation. They got upset in the second round as the one seed by the Tennessee Titans back in 2019. I remember that game specifically. I remember I was watching parts of that game at Lala's, where it's Christmas year-round, including in January, three weeks after Christmas is over with. Is that the place off Burn It? Yeah. Have you been there before? Once. It was late at night, though, and it was kind of like the third spot. So <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> it can be good for that, but it's also good as a starting point, too, I guess. But, uh, I mean, people should bring that up because it's a it's a valid point in this whole discussion on who's going to win this game. But I also feel like it's swung too far with regards to people talking about that and talking about just how cool and fun and good the Texans are, too, to where Baltimore, who, if you look at the full body of work this year for any NFL team, San Francisco included, Baltimore has the most impressive wins on their record, including a game against San Francisco where everybody assumed San Francisco was going to work the Ravens and the opposite ended up happening. The Ravens have faced a lot of tests this year considering that the NFL reached peak parity and they passed most of those with flying colors. Yeah. And you do feel like at some point, even though CJ Stroud has broken every rule or every kind of, um, I don't know what's the word like, but every sort of, yeah, every sort of rule that we put on rookie quarterbacks, like, they're going to hit the wall at some point in the regular season. Like they're going to have an interception problem. Uh, rookie quarterbacks in the playoffs never really win or rarely win. But CJ Stroud is basically breaking. He's, he's the exception to essentially every single rookie quarterback rule that you would, you would put together. I think it was since 2008 
there's been five rookie head coach, rookie quarterback combos to make the playoffs. Hmm. And D'Amico Ryans and CJ Stroud were the fifth. The last one to actually win a game was the Mark Sanchez, Rex Ryan Jets. And that was obviously a team that not, you know, I hate, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an SC guy. Love the Sanchez. Love, love Mark, Mark from the OC, but <laughs> that was, that was all, that was all defense. That was all, that was all defense on those two teams when they made back-to-back runs to the conference championship yeah. game. Um, that's why I think, you know, the rule would say to fade CJ again, but I'm just, I'm just going to keep betting the Texans. Like I've had, I've had such a good year with it. Just them bucking every trend, CJ bucking every trend. So I'm going to stick with it, take the nine and a half in that game. And, um, Probably didn't give a good reason for that other than just I'm going to make C.J. Stroud finally prove that, you know, e- even if they don't win, I still feel comfortable that they're going to keep it close. It became yeah. a good idea at various points in the year to fade uh, or, or to hammer the 49ers and whatever that line was with a few exceptions. And also, strangely, to fade Kansas City, which I don't know what to think of Chiefs Bills. Bills feel like they're playing their best football at the right time of year. The game is in Buffalo, but this has been a very schizophrenic team all season long, whereas Kansas City kind of felt like we knew exactly what they were in the second half of the season. A team with Mahomes, Kelsey, and a bunch of unreliable receivers. A pretty good defense, too, and a a middling run game. Well, it only took one game for people to remember just how good the Chiefs can be this time of year. I don't know who I'm going to take in this game right now. Earlier with BK, I think I picked Kansas City, but that was purely based on me fading BK because that's also <laughs> a good idea during the NFL season, especially in our picks. But uh, I can see this game going either way. I have the Bills, but okay. it's the game I have the least. Uh, actually, both the Sunday games are the games I probably have the least confidence in. Mm. In that in that earlier game, we, we can talk more about Lions-Bucks again um specifically on the number if we want to I think I'm gonna take the bucks in that game just because it's it's a lot of points even though I feel like Baker Mayfield may turn back into just good Baker Mayfield not Hall of Fame Baker Mayfield um but in terms of the the Bills Chiefs game I'm gonna take the Bills there because of what you said about them playing their best football right now uh they're at home Mahomes has never gone on the road in the playoffs obviously neutral site games uh yeah yeah, this is his first true road game in the playoffs of his career. That is crazy. Yeah. And what's crazy, too, is he already has more playoff wins as a starting quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. And he hasn't even gone on the road yet. Like, those two things, like, by themselves are crazy. And those two things side by side are even crazier when you talk about them in the same sentence or the same context. No kidding. But I just – it's just a gut feeling that I don't feel awesome about, but just a gut feeling that – this is the time that Josh Allen finally gets, you know, the the Mahomes the Mahomes stuff behind him. They finally get one in a big spot over Mahomes. I know they got the one earlier in the year, but I think this is the time the Bills finally beat beat the Chiefs in the playoffs because everyone keeps talking about this Chiefs defense is really good. Don't get me wrong, but what did the what did the Bills do to that Dolphins team in their stadium? A more difficult place, a more difficult environment to slow that offense down without elements helping you, yeah. like the Chiefs did. One, a home field element and a weather element. And the Bills played 
pretty damn good defense on that on that Miami offense too because that's the thing I keep hearing about oh this Chiefs defense is and it's fair to an extent but also if we're going to use last game as an example let's not also ignore that like I said they the Bills just shut down that offense the week before in Miami sports are all about matchups that was the perfect matchup for Kansas City last yeah. a Miami team that all of a sudden had no real ability to rush the quarterback because of a, a rash of injuries that they suffered the last month of the season. Tua, who is terrible in cold weather. Waddle, I mean, Tyree Kill is Tyree Kill, of course, but Waddle is still hampered by an injury. Yeah, that Miami team, they screwed themselves at the end of the season by losing that division crown because it turned into a worst-case scenario for them with that first-round game. Oh, and I, I do wonder with Kansas city. Cause I know everybody saw what rice did last week and they're like, Oh wow. They finally had a guy emerge and become that number one wide receiver. Maybe, but there's all, it's also a possibility that that was a flash in the pan for him too. And by the way, there's still a bunch of other shitty receivers surrounding him as well. It was Trey. It was, you gotta admit, it was kind of wild that like the whole, and this is feels kind of classic Mahomes, the Mahomes magic, which scares me a little bit out of that gut feeling on the bills because all of a sudden, did you see a single drop pass last week? These guys, oh, wow. these guys couldn't. If you if you dropped it in their hands, these guys couldn't catch a pass for weeks on end, multiple weeks this season. And last week, I was like, I was watching like, oh, it's a Justin Watson sliding catch. There's a Rasheed Rice, really nice catch. Here comes Travis Kelsey back again. Actually, no, Kelsey, I think Kelsey did, uh, there was a catchable one early on, I think like maybe one of the first plays of the game that Kelsey didn't have, but there were no like really impactful drops like they had had so many times this year, like obviously drops that kind of decided games um, or drops just in huge spots that flip momentum, you know, they had to punt instead of continuing to drive. So that scares me a little bit, but I'm just going to, I know it's probably the stupidest thing I've ever done, but I'm going to fade. You're gonna fade Mahomes what? You, you game. You're gonna fade what? Oh, I said I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna fade Mahomes playing his first road playoff game. I the the first road playoff thing is a fascinating detail, and I'm trying to look up drops because that's a, a great observation. I hadn't considered that, and it is uh, fitting, I guess, that it does happen. What is going on? The Chiefs' website is terrible for box scores. Good lord. <laughs> um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Bucks and Lions as I try and stumble my way through this because you and I are on the same side of this one. I don't think Baker Mayfield needs to be superstar level for the Bucks to stick in this game because they are a really good passing attack. And he was on the money last week, and uh, they still didn't reach their full potential because speaking of drops, that is a team that suffered way too many drops in a week where they didn't need to be calling those passes in because they went up against such a listless Eagles team that all of a sudden is dealing with a ton of turmoil. Yeah, that was a pathetic performance from the Eagles. And I think similar to the Chiefs, matchups, like you said, are, are everything. And I think that was a great matchup and great timing for this Bucks team to not only get the home playoff game because they won the worst division in football, but then on top of that to be able to welcome – the Eagles into town who were just absolutely reeling. And that one, I, that was the one game I stayed away from playing the true spread. Cause I don't know. I just felt like 
maybe the Eagles would figure it out and they'd flip the switch with the, you know, pedigree of being a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Um, still having, you know, the occasional guy like Fletcher Cox or Jason Kelsey that played on the team that won the Super Bowl previously. Felt like maybe there might be a little bit of pedigree, but uh, pedigree there to help the Eagles potentially flip the switch. But yeah, I think that was just the nail in the coffin for their season. Obviously it was, but just of how absolutely broken they were. And my, my concern with, I mean, concerns on both sides, but I think the Bucks can play that same game again. And even if they can play better, I don't know if they'll win on the road in Detroit, but I feel confident that they'll, that they'll cover basically a touchdown spread. Like I feel, I feel pretty confident in that. Yeah. Yeah. The emotional thing, uh, it, it could be a big deal and it could catapult the, the lions to a fast start or it could have that reverse effect. I just don't know what to expect right now because you know, that building is going to be charged. That was a crazy environment last weekend. They're going to be in that much more of a frenzy this Sunday. Well, it is worth noting too, with the lions that they started hot and then basically just like slugged their way to the finish. That's true. Like, I think they scored what three points in the second half. So, you know, they're not exactly coming off the sharpest performance. So, I mean, like, like anything else, you, you could look at that two ways. You could look at that as like, well, that probably won't happen again. Uh, but then you could also look at it as you think the Bucks probably have a better defense overall, top to bottom, uh, especially with Todd Bowles. So that that's one that I feel like I don't know if I'd call it a coin flip. I think Detroit should be favored, but I feel like that should be more like a three to four point spread. So, yeah, I agree that with that. I can see four or five, so almost a touchdown. It does feel like a lot, even if or maybe because emotions are riding high. In Detroit. All right. I have a non-sports question for you. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, there's something to uh, to show you. Okay. So I am having to renew my passport right now. I'm about to have to do that too. Uh, you can you can do it in a timely manner and not get gouged, or you can procrastinate like I have and end up having to pay a couple of hundred bucks to get it um, to get it expedited. So do the former. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I went into a FedEx today to get my picture taken to send all this stuff off. And at the FedEx, you can actually get that two by two picture taken that you have to send in to either get the passport initially or get it renewed. And when I was getting my picture taken, I don't know if this is an embarrassing admission or maybe it's just an arrogant admission, but you get it. You're, you're a really good looking guy, regardless of the angle. <laughs> I take really good front on pictures, especially government documents. I don't know what it is. It started at the age of 16 with my first driver's license. Part of it is my neck. I've got a well-defined neck in pictures like this. So I take good pictures. So when I step up to the plate to get my picture taken for a driver's license or a passport, I'm confident. I'm smiling. I'm ready to go here. I know this is going to look great. Well, I smile for this passport. And the guy taking the picture, really nice guy at the uh, the FedEx in Cedar Park, by the way, he's like, you can't actually smile. I'm like, what? He's like, yep, if you're showing any teeth, they will reject your passport photo. I'm like, all right, well, uh, okay. So I just, I gave like a, like a friendly smirk, I guess. But when you smirk, your eyes kind of close a little bit. So we take the picture, we go back over. He cuts it up and he's like, oh, because there's a machine, I guess, back there that reads whether the passport photo is acceptable because they've had such a problem with this. Like, the Oh, I'm getting like sent back? 
Yeah, exactly. He's like, the machine says that your eyes are too closed. My eyes aren't closed at all in this picture, but it's like we go take another one. I'm like, I'm trying to do the, like, they're really testing my ability to take a good uh, government-issued uh, photo, Jeff, but I do get another good one off. And so here is, here's going to be my my passport photo coming up here pretty soon. That's uh, There we go. It's pretty good. Pretty good picture, right? Especially yeah. considering I can't freaking smile and I need to make sure my eyes are wide open. So you're basically like, I, that's what it started out as. I'm like, I swear, if they tell me my eyes aren't open enough with this picture, we're doing, we're going um, uh, clockwork orange on the next picture where I am just going to have, I'm going to have something just holding them open enough. But so you don't, so do you have to have a new photo taken? Yep. Yeah. Uh, have, have a new photo taken and it has to be stapled in a very specific manner to the application. Uh, uh, two staples on each side. It's got to be so close to the border so that the pictures can then be used for the passport. So some convoluted things happening with the passport process. I know people were up in arms. I think it was 21 or 22 because it was taking forever for passports to get sent back. That has apparently calmed down significantly. So we're thankful for that. But yeah, get ready to uh, have to jump through some hoops to get your passport updated. Are you going somewhere in, in particular or is it just to get it done? Uh, well, we're, we don't have it planned yet, but the honeymoon probably going to go probably going to go somewhere like in the caribbean or something like that so we'll definitely need it yeah caribbean's a good spot and so now you're making me want to immediately do this like monday or tuesday next week when i have some time get it done yeah get it done it's really not that hard you can fill all the forms out online and the passport office for the usps is actually i think it's pretty close to you guys as a matter of fact i was gonna have yeah. to go closer to pflugerville from Cedar Park, technically Round Rock, but it felt like it was uh, bordering on Pflugerville. So, yeah. Can you go physically drop it off over there? Well, you can um, – I, I don't know. I guess you could you could put it in the mail if you wanted to, but I wanted to go talk to somebody to just to make sure that everything was being done correctly so I didn't yeah, have to sure. read through the process. Yeah, it makes sense. That's probably what I would do. Yeah. This is not recent. Passport photo requirements in Dallas in the 1990s were the same. Haven't changed. Great picture, by the way, LFG. Straight <laughs> from office space. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Caribbean's good. That's where Justine and I actually got married. And we we did a did we do delay honeymoon. Yeah, we delay honeymoon there. And she had just found out that she was pregnant. So our all-inclusive package was a half waist kind of a full waist too, by the way, because I don't know what it is about all inclusive places and all you can eat first come first serve sitting uh, seating. It really, it creates the worst in people. It brings out the worst in people. There were so many people who were putting their stuff on chairs at the beach. There were a limited number of chairs. I guess shame on the resort too. putting their stuff on a chair or a couple of chairs, and then not even hanging out at the beach in the morning, like waiting until the afternoon to actually utilize those things. And just being that asshole that just holds the spot. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Same thing. It's a, it's like all you can eat. And we were, and this is when we were in, um, or we were on St. Martin, which is supposed to be the food gateway of the Caribbean. And there is a lot of good food there. It's half Dutch and half French. Oh, nice. All-inclusive all resort that we were at. They offered buffets every day and we would like go to the buffet just to get a little something in between like the good meals that we had planned. And like people are just absolute jackals. 
to go along with the whole chair thing. And then there were issues with the pool and issues. I don't know. It becomes so dog eat dog, I guess, at that point, because you realize that even though it's all you can, whatever, um, people still want to make sure that they're getting theirs at a discounted price. <laughs> it's just so crazy. <laughs> yeah. The whole point is to not have to worry about that. Right. I, mean, I, I You would think you would think. Uh, humanity, Trey. Humanity. Where I'm actually, I had to redo my passport because I'm going on a bat or going with on. Let me refer to this. I'm going to be a part of a bachelor party that's going out. That's driving seven hours out to West Texas, around Big Bend, and oh, okay. we're literally going to be staying like within a mile of the border. But it's not a heavily trafficked part of the border. I guess we can literally take canoes across the Rio Grande, but you have to have your passport to get across and back. I was like, yeah, you might, might want to have the passport in the back pocket on that one. So, yeah. <laughs> That'd be a tough call to the wife that you're, you're stuck in a remote part of, uh, of the border in West I Texas. I think there is that. actually like, there's a guy just hanging out under a tree in a lawn chair who's actually border patrol. And he just checks your, uh, checks the passport on each side because this is like a, a legitimate operation, I guess. And then you just go hang out in this sleepy border town on the other side. That's quite Don't a game. worry. No donkey shows or anything like that. I <laughs> question whether the donkey show is a real thing. That kind of feels like an angry pirate to me. You mean to tell me that there is a uh, lady of the evening who is doing graphic things to a donkey? Come on. That can't be real, right? <laughs> uh, it sounds like a hell of a bachelor party. I'm saying that's not happening at this bachelor party <laughs> for the record. We're going to be doing a lot of hiking at Big Bend. And Sorry, I was just hearing what I wanted to hear for a better story. That's probably for the best. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what did you do for your bachelor party? Uh, we went to Phoenix, to Scottsdale. Pretty, oh. pretty basic. Pretty basic bro decision, you know. But it was good. It was just like a good place. It was in between... In, like right in between all the guys that were in LA, all the guys that were in Texas. Mm. And the only thing was we went in August. So it was super hot, but it was also, it was the only time I could really do it. And it was insanely hot everywhere. So we just got an air, we got an Airbnb with a pool, just like massive place and all that. So it was, yeah, it was a good time. Did y'all play golf or try to play golf really early in the morning? Yeah. We played golf at like six 30 in the morning. The first night I did it the first night. Cause I knew, guys were going to stay up all night and drink anyway but at least like that first night we'd pretty much all be at the airbnb i mean we still were like on four hours of sleep and guys were like drinking beers at i mean that's like bachelor parties or some of the like there's really no rules that i'm trying to think of something else like even like wedding week there were not a lot of rules like we were drinking a lot we were we were having a good time it's okay i have like a you know drink at at 11 a.m or whatever you know i got married on like a thursday so it was like wednesday and i'm drinking at like noon the bachelor party was the ultimate, like we all went to sleep at like three in the morning, got up for golf at like six, six thirty tea time. And dudes did not even wait until the third or fourth hole to start drinking. Oh yeah. I guess some, some people need to hair the dog it like that. I, I am not that way. Like I get to that point, but it, it takes me a minute. Like not at, not at like whatever time it was that, you know, it was, it was one of those rounds where, I 
I was because I was playing really well when we went and I'm playing awesome early on. I'm like, okay. And then guys like had, you know how bachelor parties are. Like when you're the bachelor, you don't know like what the, what everybody's plans are for, for everything. And then it just became like everybody, like we had three groups. So then everybody wanting to like, Oh, this whole meets up here, like take a shot. You know? So then by the end, mm. <laughs> by the end, we had like 17 is a par three. We had like nine guys playing the same par three. Like, thankfully there was <laughs> barely anybody else out there. And I think we may have ended up on that par three for like 45 minutes. Just like, that's actually really cool. That's it a, was, it was, cool. it was cool. And for anybody in the comments, that's going to get on your like golf etiquette stick or whatever. Like we would have moved out of the way. Exactly. If somebody, if somebody came up, we would have been like, Hey, we're falling apart over here. Like, please go ahead and play all the way through. So were you guys actually like going down and back, like replaying the hole or is everybody just kind of fucking around on the tee box and just hitting shots to see if anybody could get a hole in one? Basically that, because essentially what happened was I was in the first group and we got up there and there were four of us and we tee off, hit our shots. We're like pretty tipsy, you know, messing around or whatever. And then the other guys came up on the green and one of the guys like started talking trash or something like that. So I walked over to the green and he hit a shot to like six feet. I picked his ball up and threw it into this Canyon right over there. And then that like stopped everything. And then they were like, all right, well, we'll just, we'll just play the rest of this with you. And then every, it just started like piling up. But like I said, thank goodness we had the entire course to ourselves. Cause otherwise I'm pretty sure they would have kicked us off. You said this is 16 or 17. They were on the green at 16 and then the par three was 17. So did y'all all, did all nine guys play 18 together too? Yeah. But guy, well, basically what happened was guys just like, didn't play. Like they like hit a yeah. drive yeah. with like a range ball and we're like, ah, I'm done. Yeah. That sounds like me with regular golf there. There will reach a point. Cause I play golf once or twice a year and it's the Bucky's mullet open which is in May. And sometimes it's another tournament or a friend will come into town saying, we want to play. If you don't mind me just hacking up the course and probably quitting <laughs> two thirds of the way through. And so usually with that second time is where it's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm hurting myself right now. Cause I'm starting to swing too hard and there's no consistency here. So that's it. I'm okay. Just being company, helping you keep track of your golf ball. There may be the occasional shot that I, drop a ball out to see about hitting it from ideal conditions. But, but that's the best. That's, that's it for me. Like, I don't know what the format is in the mullet open, but that's the best part about most of those charity tournaments is they're all scrambles just for everybody to have fun and keep, keep it moving. Exactly. So scramble best ball, like is actually, I, I have a great time with those because like, I'm a pretty good player, but there's not one thing that I do amazing. I'm not the guy that drives it like 400 yards off the tee. So then I just play with somebody that does and then I get to hit their drive every time and like, oh yeah, this is nice. I hit mine over there. I don't have to even, I mean, go look for it if I want the ball, but like, then I just take it back and drop it in the fairway and play from here. Exactly. And my mullet open team, it's my two brothers. And then one of my best friends who is a true a player. And we, we have like, I know that it's whatever in, in a scramble. It's like, get the best guys and try and win the tournament. But we have a true a, B, C and D and I am, Capital, capital D, double D, <laughs> however you want to put that. 
but it's a lot of fun to go out there. And like you said, I'm not, I'm not having to, to go chase balls into the rough or try and hit out of crap or behind trees or whatever. I get to hit the shots that they make. And I hate driving. Like I can do it with my three wood. It's not going to go a crazy distance. And occasionally uh, on a given hole, you might use my ball, but I also like not having to worry about driving because that's just like one more type of club that I'm having to account for. Versus just letting letting my buddy who hits it 300 yards and hits it pretty straight, letting him drive everything, and maybe maybe uh, hitting off the tee box on par threes or something like that. But otherwise, I, I don't have to worry myself about that at all. I can be a pretty good putter. Uh, it's I don't know why I just said it like that. I can be a pretty good putter. Uh, it can also be hit or miss, though, because I don't get out there a whole lot. But I can contribute putting, short game a little bit, and then also – Par fives. I've got a really good uh, three wood or fairway wood that uh, has proven to be beneficial in the past. So you just run, you'll just basically just run one up there with the three wood on the par five. Just rip it. I understand how to play my slice. And so, especially if it's a dog leg right, then a lot of times uh, that, yeah, that can turn out pretty well for me. It can also turn out like complete shit too. Who am I kidding? Sometimes I play the slice and the ball goes straight. I'm like, oh, fuck. I wish I had been aimed the right direction. Sometimes That's actually one of my direction and I'm not. And so, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a crapshoot, but it's, it's fun to get out there a tiny bit, not have to spend too much time or money to, to suck at a sport. You mentioned playing the slice. That made me think of my favorite part or one of my favorite parts of playing public golf, like growing up playing public golf is you go to the course and a lot of times it'd be me and my dad on like a Saturday morning or something. You get paired with two other random guys. Well, you don't know who those guys are. You don't know how they play their tendencies or anything. The first tee is always hilarious because I'll look at my dad and I'll be like, he's aiming for the trees. <laughs> and then it's just hilarious to see like everyone's like just like weekend golfer, like quirky golf swing. And I'm like, Oh, he aimed like 40 yards the opposite way. And then just perfectly like hit this slice in like, like 280 yards. I'm like, Oh, that, yeah. That's how you're supposed to be playing the game. And then idiots like me who have like some semblance of golf talent and are good at it and enjoy it are like, no, no, I got to find a way how to like hit this straight. I'm like, just, just swing the swing that God gave you, man. Like, and that's always playing public golf is always the best reminder of that. Cause you see dudes where you're like, what is this guy doing? And then he swings and you're like, Oh, great shot. What is your best club? Uh, I mean, probably short, probably short game. Oh, okay. Just, chipping and putting because I finally, I finally decided like, that's the one thing that, you know, for the average, I mean, for every golfer, but especially for the average golfer, like makes the most differences. Yeah. Like I could sit there and, you know, work till like my, with on my driver till my knuckles are bursting through my skin, like, you know, and do all that. But I only have so much power in this, uh, you know, five foot 10 once athletically semi-athletically gifted body. So it's like, yeah, I could sit there and work for hours to try to hit it 15 yards further, or I could just hit a couple drives and make sure I'm decent at that. And then I could just get awesome at chipping and putting. Yeah. Uh, Cooter, I resent this. I make a great beer bitch. I don't make a great beer bitch. I don't even know what a beer bitch is. I don't have the beers. It's the cart girl that has the beers. I'm just a guy uh, just hanging out at the golf cart, helping you track your ball. It hopefully is going into the fairway because I don't have great uh, vision far away. Uh, Ike says that the donkey show is in fact real. Ike, do you know that from experience? Have you seen this show? <laughs> uh, Steve, I don't know if it's uh, Boquillas 
for the bachelor party? Maybe. I will text my buddy and maybe have an answer for you by the end of the show. Where's Where's the wedding? The wedding's here in Austin. The wedding okay. is, I guess there's this historic place down near Town Lake at Mopac. I guess it's downhill from, you know where the Run Textual location used to be? I forget what it is now. I think it's a tequila place, that yellow building. Oh, oh, by like Deep Eddy? Yes, because oh. when, the, when the place closes down at 10 or 11, we're going to walk over to Deep Eddy, which is where uh, Deep Eddy Cabaret, that is, which is oh, where yeah. they had their first date or first met or something. So, yeah, the wedding's here. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm actually, my kids were excited to go to this wedding. I'm debating not bringing the kids because the wedding starts a little bit later. And I'm just like, I don't know if we want to have to worry about kids. Once alcohol starts flowing and other things, they may better be better off just hanging out with grandma and having a movie night here on a Saturday night or something, you know? <laughs> well, you cut off for a second. You said you're leaving them at home? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, that, that's what we have to figure out in the next couple of days. But either way, they'll they'll have fun. And it's just, you know, it's just a matter of whether we're trying to get them back home when everybody's going to be going someplace else to a bar that they definitely can't go. So it's like, oh, do yeah. I want that responsibility at, like 10, 10 30 at night, or do I just leave them at home with grandma? And the more I say that out loud, that latter option seems a whole lot better. So we were the, uh, we were the a-holes that just did no kids for the wedding, even though we have a kid, but it was basically just our kid. Well, it was basically just our kid. And then like really close family, really so, like- Really close family kids or really? Yeah. So like two, like, like a, a niece. Um, and then I guess it would be like a nephew. It's, you know, yeah, I think it'd be like, yeah, well, it'd be like, like our kid's cousin. Like, I don't know. It's on her side of the family. So I know that pisses some people off. I completely respect that decision as somebody who has been, who has had really young kids that could have gone to a wedding but kids who are still old enough to get out there and be super cute on the dance floor or yeah. whatever. And like, we weren't allowed to bring our kids and this is my mom's side of the family, which is pretty close. And it's like, ouch, this, this kind of hurts. Like this is a family affair and you're, you are excluding a part of family. It's a bummer. Ultimately it was still fine, but I completely understand y'all's logic with that. It cuts down. Yeah, on we- it cuts down on some of the extra BS. It allows some of those other adults to just kind of enjoy themselves and not have to worry about chasing anyone else around for the two to three hours, whatever it ends up being. Yeah, no doubt. That was, that was our thought behind it. I think most people understood. There were a couple of people that that pretty sure didn't come because of that, but I mean, Hey, so be it. Steve yeah. says did not see the donkey show. Bet you didn't think you'd be talking donkey shows today. Did you did not see <laughs> yeah. the donkey show, but the cigarette trick is crazy. Boys town, Acuna, Mexico across from Del Rio. What is the cigarette trick? <laughs> Jeff? Any guesses? I have, I have no idea. All right, let's see. Mexico border. Oh, this should this should be uh I'm glad you're not sharing your screen right here while you Google this. <laughs> uh Mexico border cigarette trick. That didn't nope. Do you need me to uh, ramble about something while you read this and filter to make sure it's uh, appropriate to share with the wonderful viewers of Texas Sports Unfiltered? No, we can we can tell. This is you. You know what? You know what? You're right. You're right. That that was that's that's the TV guy in me. There's no 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 license on this one. 
There is no light. Well, there's no license and we can be okay with a little bit of a pregnant pause also slash radio silence. I'm not seeing anything for radio trick. I searched Mexico border radio uh, cigarette trick. I searched just regular city uh, cigarette trick. Am I having a stroke right now? I don't know. So you're going to have to tell me what. Okay. Smoked in the Yahoo. If I remember correctly, smoked in the Yahoo. You can make smoke. You can smoke a cigarette for more than your mouth. If you are a woman. Like your ear hole. Is that what we're talking about here? People. Oh man. We have just, we've gone off the rails and it's not even four o'clock. Well, I haven't even gotten to my kids having an active shooter drill today, which is apparently something that is regular at public schools these days. Did you realize this? No, but do we? Uh, did you guys do earthquake drills in California when you were a Yes, kid? yes. Okay. And that- I actually, er- earthquake story, if I may, real okay. quick. So we had in, I was in middle school and I had to like do science over the summer or something. I took summer school. It's like what a lot of the football players did just because we were already over there for like middle school football and all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, I might as well like take a class afterwards. So I take the science class and we have the like the lab tables where you have the stool instead of the chair and they sit up a little bit higher. So we're in the middle of class and I had a this is when I had my first cell phone. I had a brick cell phone. It was like one of those like sprint silver brick phones. Mm hmm. And this comes into play in a second, but basically all of a sudden out of nowhere, like the table starts shaking and I like, wasn't paying attention at all. I was probably playing some stupid game on my phone or whatever in the middle of class. And my textbook falls off both my textbooks. And I thought my buddy had just like pushed them off. Just like dumb high school kid stuff. Well, it was a freaking earthquake. And the teacher just yells out like under the table, under the table, whatever the code was for like, this is an earthquake drill. And we get under those lab tables and just hold the side of them. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a super serious one. I, I can't remember what magnitude it was. It was one where it was basically just enough to knock a couple things off of shelves or tables, or if something was on the wall, but not totally secured, it might fall off. So, um, but afterwards we go up, we all go outside after the, there's a little aftershock we're done. Well, this was obviously before cell phones. This probably would have been like, like oh seven maybe or something like that and all the like i couldn't make a call because the cell phones were just like overblown with everyone calling to check in and make sure that everything's okay it was almost like being in the middle of dkr like it's gotten better over the last few years at dkr but like back when like a couple years ago i couldn't even send a text in dkr when it was full like it was kind of like that just like nobody had any service the phone lines the cell towers were all like overwhelmed and stuff. So, but yeah, we, we knew, I say all that to say, we knew what to do because of the earthquake drills that they would do. They do fire and earthquake. Like we do them at the same time and we had to do them like once or twice a year. Did you not deal with an earthquake like once or twice a year or once every year or two? I, to be honest, like, like knock on wood that like, I'm not jinxing like my family that's there now. Like we never dealt with a, where we're at in LA, we never dealt with a really big one. The the only big one I was alive for was, and you could Google this one because it was big, was the Northridge earthquake. And I want to say it was like 94 or 95. Mm. So I was like one or two. And my parents just like, my parents just like held me. They did whatever they you're supposed to do. Like, and they just held me. That's so weird. I was under the impression that people who lived in California, like you dealt with 
trimmers somewhat regularly. Like again, once or twice a year, once or twice, once every couple of years. But uh, a lot of them you don't even feel. Mm. Like it, it, de depending on where you are. And obviously it's certain like wherever the epicenter is, there's yeah. varying levels of course of like how much you're going to feel it way further than, you know, beyond that. Like how close you are to the fault essentially. Okay. Well, unfortunately active shooter situations are a thing in modern times. It sucks. It's horrible. You feel awful every time you see a story like that, but schools are planning as if that's a possibility, which I, you know, it sucks that that's reality, but that's also reality. So you want to try and prepare people for the worst. That's part of being prepared. Yeah. Well, hoping that you never have to utilize it. Right. Well, my kids were telling me today that they had an, active shooter drill they do these a couple of times a year and they both both their classes got in trouble because they were making too much noise and so i'm i'm sitting here thinking to myself yeah your kids you're like you're everybody's being crammed into a bathroom or this small space and so everybody's just like making one another laugh or poking one another or, you know antagonizing like kids do and not taking it seriously like i didn't take tornado drill seriously when i was in elementary school but this is obviously a different beast it's not a natural disaster it's a horrific act of terrorism and so i had to have the conversation with him look you guys laugh make jokes when you know it's a drill if it is ever real for the love of god please be quiet because like the te like they got their classes got in trouble because the teacher came around and is like we can still hear you guys you don't get fun Friday now. And so I asked my kids, like, do you understand why that is? They didn't have an answer. I'm like, because if it were really a drill, you wouldn't want the person who's looking to do bad things to kids to hear that you're in there. So my kids are probably going to have nightmares this weekend. That's fun. I mean, you've been a parent longer than I have, Trey. I have, I've just now reached the point of my uh, stepdad tenure where I, I don't know how parents explain some of these things to kids. Like, like I clearly, I mean, he goes to an elementary school now as a, as pre-K. Yeah. So like, he's not, I mean, but he's, the, I want to say like, he's not officially in school, but he is like, he goes to school. Like, you know, they do more playing and less like actual curriculum than you're going to do when you get older, obviously. But still like, I, did, I didn't go when I was in pre-K. Um, kindergarten was my first year of elementary school, but yeah, like I started thinking about it the other day. I'm like, he's like in elementary school, elementary school, like in the cafeteria with, you know, fourth and fifth graders. And he comes home and just asks like nothing like off the wall, but just, he's reached the curiosity phase where everything is a question about why this, why that, and not necessarily like talking back or anything like that. Just, just like, a, I, what do you mean? Like, I, I don't understand. Like I, I want to, I don't understand and I want to understand. Like, I don't get it. And why, why is this that way? Like, why is Trey wearing light gray and you're wearing dark gray? Like, you know, and just every little thing needing to be explained. So I can that only is, imagine having that conversation. Th it, that is sometimes hard for, for me, or I, I was going to say the general you, not for you, but for me as a parent, I don't know about you. Cause sometimes you just, you just want to sit there and be with your thoughts. It's been a long day or whatever, <laughs> but you also want to cultivate that curiosity because far too often kids, at home, hopefully to a lesser degree, but especially out in the real world, like nobody has time for those questions, but they're important questions to ask and to try and help come up with some sort of answer, or help them 
find the answer themselves with a certain situation. So that's great to hear that you are entering that phase. It's a fun phase. It's not always, not always welcome, I guess, depending on the day, but it's, my kids still do that right now. And I, I try and tell them regularly, like guys, even if it seems like I'm, I'm not in the mood, I want to ask questions. If you have questions, ask me, because guess what? That elicits some great conversations. I ask y'all questions. There's a lot of times you don't feel like answering my bullshit questions every day. I pick them up from school, Jeff. What made you happy? Yeah. What did you do well in class? What is something that you want to do a little bit better in class tomorrow? And there are days that they don't want to answer those. And I tell them that, like, if there's a day that I don't feel like answering it, just, just think back to the questions that I ask you every day. Just ask anyhow. I'll get over myself if that's what's going on. And so, yeah, I think it's led to some, uh, some pretty earnest conversations with us. Take things a step too far, like in terms of what what their ages are and what we're talking about. I'm not getting graphic with anything necessarily. Where did they get that from? Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> um, but like, I, I guess I'm I'm also part of the problem as to why there are at least uh, a second and third grader that don't believe in Santa Claus anymore at Rick Perry Elementary School in oh my Park. God. The point You're where my terrible. Kids- classmates like want to fight them because they're like, no, 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 I'm sorry. Santa is BS. It's a lie. Your parents are telling you. Well, the parents at this point are so desperate to hang on to that innocence that they are adamant to their kids. Not only is Santa Claus real. If you think that Santa Claus is not real, you're not getting Christmas anymore. Kids are facing these threats. So in turn, (laughs) they're threatening my kids for having the gall to suggest that Santa Claus isn't real anymore. See that that's when you you just tell them like you guys, may not believe in it, but just don't ruin it for everybody else. I So we tried that with both of them. We tried that with my daughter, who's the older one. Don't ruin this for your brother. She made it one Christmas. Next <laughs> Christmas, she's talking to him about it. She's talking to her their cousins about it. And of course, she's talking to kids at school. But I asked my son, because this was the first year that he had asked me the Santa thing, I think. Yeah, this is the first year he had asked me the Santa thing. And I'm like, do you really want to know the answer? Okay, here's the here's the answer. Santa Claus is uh, the spirit of Santa. It's a figurative thing, but like Santa Claus, the real life person. I'm sorry, that is bullshit. Probably exactly how I said it to him. I was like, did you say it exactly like that? So, so I'm. It's the same caveat though. Hey, listen, there are a lot of other kids who still believe this. Don't ruin it for them. I asked him like a week before they got out for Christmas break. Hey. How much do you guys talk about whether or not Santa is real? Dude, I'm not even kidding you. In elementary school and second grade, they're talking about Santa, whether Santa's real or not real at every lunch, at every recess. I mean, it may as well be like the uh, the end of the NFL regular season with how much time these kids are spending talking about whether Santa is real or not. And there's a faction that do believe, and there's a faction who either don't believe, aren't Christian, or uh, have been told by their parents that Santa is bullshit. Like my kids. Oh, I'm in for it. Sounds like I'm in for it. It's it's a ton of fun, except for the active shooter drills. Well, those are fun for the kids. They're terrifying for us to think about. No, absolutely. Hey, were you at the Irwin Center a couple of nights ago out of curiosity covering that men's basketball game that lost to UCF? So I was as a fan. We took, we took Jace, got tickets, and to my, uh, you know, I don't say like luck, but I got turned around on where we bought the tickets. I wanted to buy them in a reasonably priced location. 
for first and foremost. I was like, you know what? Reasonably priced location, but a fun location would be right above where the team comes out, the tunnel. So, well, I got turned around and completely like opposite, like diagonal on the opposite side is where I bought the tickets. And that also happens to be right where the, like the media sits. So I immediately walked Mm -hmm. in and saw like, I mean, not that I didn't want to see them. I just thought it was, it was just kind of ironic. Like, oh yeah, I finally go to a game as a fan. Think I'm buying tickets over here and like bump into like all my, uh, media folks over here so we sat in like section did you see bob at the game no no he was but he was back in the studio so usually i would have worked that day Mm. but because mlk was a holiday and i worked that day then i then i had different days off and stuff and i was like hey you know we don't get to do this very often let's take jace to a game good time got him got him his first basketball jersey uh really his first jersey ever he has like t-shirts of teams and stuff like that but uh my cheap ass is not into you know buying a Jersey for a three-year-old or whatever. So five, I was like, you know what? He picked out the one he wanted. He was super into it. I was like, okay, like this is what we can upgrade from the, just the t-shirt, the three T four T, you know, t-shirt phases now. So we did that, had a great time. He started kind of fading. So we didn't stay the entire game. Oh, good for you. You didn't have to see the collapse. I know. Well, we listened on the way back, which was actually almost worse. Mm. I kind of would have rather seen it. Craig way does an outstanding job. Love Craig. Uh, this is not, not a knock on him at all, but there's just nothing worse than listening to a radio broadcast when the team you're rooting for the team of interest is just falling apart. Like we were sitting there going, well, Jasmine didn't really care that much. And kid was asleep, but I was driving like, uh, and then Craig just going like, uh, bore, like, you know, shot up off the rim board to UCF again. And I was like, Oh, like just trying to like 10 and 10 and two on I 35. Like my goodness. So it just represents uh, the, uh, the exacerbation from fans in his voice. Now was the Jersey just a, like a generic number one Texas basketball Jersey. Yeah, it was the number one. Um, thought about doing the KD one, but couldn't, couldn't find like he got a youth like small or extra small or something like that i mean because he's still he just turned five so he's still basically wearing like the last stage of like actual like toddler sizes you know Mm -hmm. but yeah this one's a little bit long but it was so so pure trey took me back to my days he wanted to wear it to school the next day so we let him do that with a little like sweatshirt underneath and i was like man you know i don't know if he'll be a sports fan like i am but will definitely be heavily influenced. Sports can be a great bonding point uh, between parents and children. I see it with my own kids with me and also with my wife too, by the way. My wife coached my daughter's soccer team this last year, and I saw them get close in ways that I had never considered before. But it's also weird too coaching your kid because your yeah. kid is your kid and they are going to behave towards you in certain ways that they're not necessarily going to be behaving towards other adults. And this is an issue that I've had to deal with coaching her volleyball team where it's like, Hey, you can't turn back into a tantrum throwing toddler right now. I'm the coach and you're you're the player. I'm not treating you like you're my kid. I'm treating you like you're another player here. Not to say that I'm treating her like an asshole. I'm actually 
probably a little bit too cautious with these second and third grade girls. I understand I'm dealing with a bunch of fragile egos here. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the big bearded guy. So I'm trying not to be the complete jerk, uh, maybe to a fault, but her nat- her guttural reaction with me at times is to get pissed because she's really smart and she's really good at getting her way. And she knows sometimes that uh, that helps her get her way. But she's also uh, we've also had to go over why that's disruptive in practice. And if it happens too many times, she's just got to go sit on the sideline like that's not a father and daughter thing. Like if any of my players is, is acting that way towards me or speaking towards me like that, like you don't get to be a part of practice. Yeah, you got to learn. Got to learn. So uh, Rodney Terry, I hope, has learned a lesson that plenty of Texas coaches before him have had to learn, including Mac Brown, Tom Herman most recently. And now Rodney Terry has fallen into the trap of being too sensitive to the horns down bit, despite the fact that at this point, most fans, I'm not going to say we like seeing the horns down, but we also understand what's going on there and know that if you respond negatively or if you have big emotions about it it's only going to make that problem much more worse uh, much worse and now Rodney Terry has found that out too not just through a pretty embarrassing national story but also a lot of fans getting on him about that and telling him hey rather than worry about what the other team is doing worry about what your team is doing starting with their ability to win basketball games this is the ultimate example uh, just after we perfect segue after we just talked about a bunch of parenting is what my dad used to tell me about like bullies or people teasing you, you know, not that I dealt with bullies that much or anything, but just people messing with you and teasing you. The second you let them know that it bothers you, they're going to keep doing it because you gave them the reaction they wanted. So don't give them the reaction that they want. And that's what I just can't understand about, Rodney Terry taking that much exception, particularly to the horns down. Because when I first saw it all and was kind of consuming it the way everyone else was consuming it, since I didn't see it live because we left, and not that I would have been even looking out for that anyway, Mm -hmm. I saw what was put out on social media. And my reaction was, oh, maybe he was just like, hey guys, like it was one of those like old school, like, like purity, sanctity of the handshake line. Like you don't do that in the handshake line. Like maybe that was his issue. Well, no, no, that was, that was not his issue. His issue was that it was horns down and then probably a little bit that it was the handshake line. Um, But, you know, I, my take on this is he was extremely frustrated, which is understandable as he should be. And I think his frustration came less from UCF players doing horns down and more from, this goes back to what we talked about last week about some of the lack of alpha on this team. That mm. no one on his team had the pride to say, hell no, MF, you don't do that shit on our floor. Like, you don't, like, he he probably wanted one of his players to go over there and say, stop doing that shit. Like, basically what he said. Because I still think if it's a player it probably gets put out on social media and people are like, Oh, Texas, you know, the same stuff people always say about Texas, but it's kind of like, Oh, whatever. Like a player was sticking up for his team and all that. It just looks so much worse when it's a 50 something year old coach who's coached as long as he has at Texas, as long as he has between all his years as an assistant here before he got this gig to have that big of an issue with it. But I think his bigger issue again, and maybe I'm digging a little too deep on this, but I really do think his issue was 
just his team showing no fight again, his team showing no pride. And I, I don't care about, I'm a UT alum. I don't care about the horns down, but I do think from that standpoint there, there should be, I do think there should be a little bit of pride of no, you don't, you don't do that shit on our home floor. You don't come to the Moody center and do that shit. Now we should win. We take blame and accountability for the loss is how I would want players to look at it. But I think he wants guys to be, and I'm not saying they're not like, I hate, I hate questioning effort and emotion and all that, but I really think he wants somebody to step up and, and say like, enough is enough. Like, let's turn this, let's turn this shit around. And I don't think he's getting that. That is an interesting thought that I had not considered. There are a lot of people piling on Rodney Terry right now, acting like he did something egregious, which I guess in a sense that he did, but he was, it was coming from a good place. I agree with you on that. He was trying to show a little bit of pride for a university that he loves when he just watched his guys just go out listlessly prior to that, settling yeah. for 12 of 13 threes on their final 13 shots. Oh. It was 13 of 15, I believe. Out-rebounded by 15. Like, it was pathetic. Getting crushed on the boards. Unfortunately, though, whether you're talking about the alpha thing or the just how this roster looks and how they play together or don't play together, like, it looks like a... It looks like 8 to 10 pieces from completely different puzzles that you're trying to, to pound on the table to get to fit with one another. Like, this does not look like a group that is cohesive at all right now. Maybe it is too devoid of an alpha in ways that he didn't realize. Like, is Max Acemus, is that the closest that you have to an alpha right now? No, he strikes I, me as a fairly quiet dude. Dylan DeSue is a pretty quiet dude. So maybe he leads by example, but you do need some of those guys who are willing to speak up and say it's time to cut the bullshit here. Yes. They had a lot of those guys last year, and they mm-hmm. also did a great job of playing well together. Oh, totally agree. And that that I totally think is what they're lacking right now is – there's not one guy, and, and this isn't to say that guys don't respect each other in the locker room. I'm sure guys have a ton of respect for Dylan DeSue, a ton of respect for Max A. Smith. I mean, the guy's the active leading scorer in all of college basketball. He's had an incredible career. Um, who else am I leaving? Tyrese Hunter's had a good career to this point. Another quiet you know, dude, too, though. Right. And then Dylan Mitchell, too. Like He's a guy who has a well-spoken, great personality, awesome guy to interview and talk to. But, and this could be unfair, like, I don't know if I'm getting the sense that as a sophomore in his second year here, he's the guy that's coming out and just like losing his shit and getting everyone's attention in the locker room. And last year, I mean, you had probably three guys on that team that that could really do that and grab everybody's attention, whether, you know, not only did the skill sets on the court match up really well last year and mesh like you were just talking about with this team it at times looks like it's a bunch of really good players that don't necessarily fit together with a great cohesive plan for how their skill set skill set should mesh on the court and turn turn into results and wins but last year not only did you have the skill sets on the court that worked like that but i think you had personalities and leadership styles that blended really well like being down on the court you know, there were guys last year, like emotional leaders, like you had, you had a more calm, you had a more calm, you know, even keeled leader, like a Marcus Carr last year. Not that he couldn't get fired up, but more of that calm, soothing presence. And then you had more of an emotional leader in Timmy Allen. And even though he was only here for one year, a Serge Jabari Rice. And then you had other quiet guys that were maybe like Christian Bishop, maybe more of a Dylan DeSue type personality and leadership, but a guy in his fifth year of college basketball, 
that had been through, you know, years at Creighton, tournament runs at Creighton, tournament runs at Texas. And this year, like, I, I don't really get that this, at least the way they play on the court, I don't see a team that has a ton of leadership. At least it, it doesn't come across that way. Those are all great points. I was going to ask you who some of those other leaders were. I could have guessed Timmy Allen. For some reason, I'd have forgotten Serge Ibrahi, right? Shame on me. I would have guessed Christian Bishop was more vocal, though, just based on how he plays. But you said he was more on the quieter side, though, huh? Well, I mean, he was he was more he was a little quieter with us. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that was different in the locker room. But I just mean from the standpoint of like not going to guy that wasn't going to be your leading scorer night in and night out, but a super respected guy who probably more of the when a guy like that speaks up, everyone listens because they know it, you know, it's coming from a guy who's, who's been through tons of college basketball. And I mean, that's kind of the vibe that I would get from a Max Acemas. And like I said, it doesn't like me saying, this doesn't mean that I don't think these guys are well-respected in the locker room or they don't get along with each other. It just is taking a little bit too long for all of this to come together. Cause I do think there will be a point in this season, even if you want to say this season's a lost cause, if they lose to Baylor tomorrow, which I'd have a hard time arguing with you at that point in terms of what the expectation would be based on last year and where this program should be year in and year out. But I do think there's going to be some point this year where like they win two games back to back against really good ranked teams, you know, and you, you do believe that's going to happen. I think it's going to happen at some point. I don't know if it's going to be too little too late because I just think that like, I see the potential with this team and I see what they can be. And I think everyone that watches does, but you just wonder why it's not clicking to the point where they can close the door on some of these wins. I'll be honest. I don't see the potential. Really? That they were up 16 in the first half a couple of days ago and they had a double digit lead several minutes into the second half too. I, I just, I, I see a team that does not have a toughness down low. That was a problem last year, but they also don't have near the talent on the perimeter at this point either, unfortunately. And even though a guy like Dylan Mitchell has taken some positive steps forward, I think if Shedrick can get back healthy, that'll be a huge boost. Dylan DeSue is still trying to feel his way back. I know that first game back into the starting lineup, he was really good, but there, there's some there's some reluctance there for him to go inside more than he is because that's where he does – so much excellent work is in and around the paint. Well, and you can't expect a 25 point, 30 point game out of him every night. Like he can do that for you, but if that's the expectation, then that's, that's too much for anybody. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily, well, 25 to 30 every night, that is a lot for anybody, but I think that 17 to 22 or 23 is a reasonable ask. Most nights, he showed that at the end of last season on that group of really talented dudes. He became one of the most prolific scorers on those teams. Yeah. But and this is an issue for me with this basketball team. And I'll look, I'll admit I haven't watched every game. I don't watch a lot of the games that are on LHN, unfortunately. It's a huge pain in the ass for me to get LHN because I rely on YouTube TV for a lot of my live sports and the ESPN Plus app. Doesn't include Longhorn Network. Thanks, guys. Great investment that was. I was going to say ridiculous that you pay, you know, whatever we pay for ESPN Plus and it can't get you LHN. Terrible. And yeah. uh, I've got a Spectrum login too, and I can't get it because apparently you can't stream uh, live sporting events through Spectrum's app. Again, what's the fucking point? But <laughs> Max Acemas is a great scorer. I feel like his scoring abilities and, and how he needs the basketball on offense and what he does with it 
works against this team in terms of movement on offense. And there, you also see a sort of stagnation on defense as a result as well. Cause a lot of times you see guys standing around, not really just kind of waiting to see what Max Acemus is going to do with the ball. And he's been a good scorer, but it, it takes a whole lot more than that to win basketball games in the big 12. It takes a complete team effort. Lack of alpha thing that you brought up earlier, I think is a great point. Secondary scores is important and a little bit more toughness down low. I just, I don't know if they have the guys who can actually pull that last part off. I don't know if they have the alphas to pull the leadership thing off. We're about to find that out tomorrow. You see Texas keep this game close tomorrow against Baylor. Maybe they win. Maybe it's a a point or two loss. And I feel much better about the direction that all of this is headed. But there's also a chance because they face a lot of ranked foes in the last 14 games. Your KI colleague, Bob Blue, tweeted this out. I retweeted it after the loss the other night. Their next six six games are against ranked opponents. There are far more ranked opponents left on the schedule than not. So there's a chance that this team goes, I don't know, four and ten down the stretch, two and twelve. And at that point, if that's how badly the season ends, you're not just gonna see Rodney Terry with a very hot seat going into year two. There's a chance that they make a coaching change altogether. I don't I'm not necessarily saying I agree or disagree with that, but I I disagree with that. You disagree that even if they were to go four and ten or two and twelve well, down the stretch, that, that would be it for him. I should clarify. I agree with you that that's a possibility. I disagree with that being the decision that's made. So you think that even if you were to go, if you were to finish like that, if this team were to finish like that, they'd be like, all right, we need to figure something out here. You are going to get one more year to get this turned around, but you need to get it turned around fast. Because in college Mm -hmm. basketball, that is possible, by the way. Right. But I just think if you were going to fire him after one season, then why'd you ever give him the job? Like, why did you ever and and this was this was always the thing where no matter what people said last year based on the emotional high at the top of the emotional roller coaster that everyone was feeling even despite the way the brutal way the elite 8 ended when he got the job everyone was still on some some sort of an emotional high the issue with it was the fan base was never ever going to give him a true fair shot that they would have ever given a traditional hire, meaning a hire that wasn't made from an interim decision based off of unprecedented circumstances with the previous head coach. Like he was never going to, he was never going to get this opportunity because no matter what the easiest, lowest hanging fruit. And this is why I'm not saying I, I blame fans for feeling this way, but this is why I'm going to give it a little bit more. And I'm going to try to be a little less emotional about the way this is playing out. And however, this However, his tenure ends. If it's at the end of this year, if he gets one more year and it doesn't work, if he's here for 15 more years and it's really successful. I just felt bad that he was never going to get the opportunity because whenever something like this happened, every single time it was just going to be every emotional fan taking the low-hanging fruit, trying to act like they know everything, being like, oh, see, you made the emotional hire. Oh, my gosh. Like, It's just the easiest argument, and maybe there's truth to it, but I also think it's like, let's give the guy a chance like Trey what we just went through I know you can rebuild quickly in college basketball I know that the amount that they lost from last year's team is pretty insane and this we're not talking about football where Texas is losing 80 percent of its receptions from last year with their four top you know 
receiving threats now gone to the NFL. Like where 22 guys play plus special teams. Like this is a different sport. Losing four or five guys like that is pretty massive. And I just, I just think that that's super low hanging fruit to take. Like just every single, every single, are we going to do this every single time? If he stays here 10 years, we're going to do this every time he has a bad season. Cause guess what? You know what he did last year? I don't care whose team it was. You know what he did? He did something that no other Texas coach had done in 16 years. He did something that Shaka freaking smart, who everyone talked about was the best hire of all time. Best hire of all time, Trey. Didn't win a single NCAA tournament game in six years. Yep. And we're ready to fire this guy after a one and three start. I think what he was trying to do was get his team's attention. I'm not saying it's going to work. But I think he was trying to get his team's attention, and I don't think he think the horns. He thought the horns down thing was going to blow up the way that it did. He should have known that, but I don't know. So I never really looked at the Rodney Terry hire after last season as is it the right or wrong decision. I looked at it to the point that you just made as an earned decision, considering just how completely screwed up the season ended up being as they were embarking on conference play, for him to have stepped into that role, proven himself to be a leader of men, impressed me, and I feel like I know basketball decently, as an X's and O's coach. And as you just said, getting Texas basketball to a point that they hadn't been in nearly two decades, like all of that speaks to a guy who would earn the opportunity. Yeah. The thing that I said all along, because we were talking about it last season, what does Rodney Terry have to do where there really isn't any sort of outside search? He's just the guy who gets the job going forward. A lot of people felt like if he could make it to the second weekend, that was enough. I always felt like he needed to make it to the Elite Eight, maybe the Final Four, but at least the Elite Eight. And after watching that team and how close they were to winning that Elite Eight game too, kind of got screwed by the refs there. Not throughout, but... That very specific call involving the um, big guy who straight up pulled Brock Cunningham yeah. down. On Brock a had, a, I mean, that was a textbook textbook box out, yeah. and the guy just jumped over. And like, it's the definition of over the back. It's it's the the example I can point to from people going forward as to why basketball is an inferior product to where it was 20 years ago. The fact that you can even begin to rationalize. By the way, the Miami player thought he had just fouled out of that game too. <laughs> but for Rodney Terry to have got to have steadied the ship like that. Proven to be an adept leader of men, proven to be a pretty good X's and O's coach. He earned the opportunity, but the entire time we were talking about this, if he gets the job on a full-time basis, the thing that I would say to start and to end is Rodney Terry can do all these other things well. If he doesn't understand how to construct a roster, it's not going to matter. That is always the name of the game in a sense. It's even more the name of the game now in college sports and even more specifically in college basketball because of just how prevalent transfers and the transfer portal is with this sport and your construction of a roster from season to season. And unfortunately, through one offseason, it looks like that's going to be a problem. Now, he lost both of his highly coveted recruits this offseason, guys who were going to come in and play at least some, if not heavy minutes, guys who ended up going and playing professionally. He has another really good recruiting class coming in. And he likely will and should get one, at least one more offseason to prove that he's got the chops to make it work here in Austin. A lot of people who disagreed with that hire 
when it happened, you were now calling it an emotional hire, even though I completely disagree with that. It wasn't a purely emotional hire. It was looking at all the things that you and I talked about. They say, look back at what Rodney Terry did at lesser programs where theoretically it is easier to win basketball games. He is a 500 coach in his career as a head coach. Uh, several years at Fresno State. I want to say it's like seven or eight years at Fresno State and a handful mm-hmm. of years at UTEP too before he came back to Austin. Yeah. Right now, that look, there, there's some relevance to that, but you still have to give a guy a chance to make it work unless things go horrifically on the field of play and he proves to be an outright embarrassment in terms of representing the university yeah. too. Which which won't won't happen. Exactly. Rodney Terry's not Chris Beard. Rodney Terry is a good <laughs> dude. As much as we're trying to call what happened a couple of nights ago, it, it's an embarrassment. And yeah, I mean, I guess it is because it was a national story. That was not Rodney Terry's intent. Rodney Terry wasn't out shit-faced at all hours cool. of the night getting into an accident or something. He wasn't uh, he wasn't doing something abusive and do you- he wasn't doing something malicious. He was trying to stick up for the school that employs him and that he loves. And unfortunately it's a song and dance that Texas fans have seen play out enough that we know the sort of attention that it's going to draw on us. Rodney Terry, I'd like to think has learned his lesson on that. I don't know if he ever talks about it again. I assume he's going to get asked about it at some point, but when he does, I would imagine that he's like, you know what? I learned my lesson. Uh, I don't know if he goes as far as staying in his lane, but he's like, I learned my lesson. I just need to worry about my guys. They want to do that, that nonsense. Well, that's on them. I, I'm going to teach these guys to, to win like champions and to lose like champions. So in situations like that, if I see one of my guys doing something where it's being disrespectful or derogatory, I'm, I'm going to try and correct that, but I can't worry about that with other teams. Yeah. And Trey, going back to like Rodney Terry's results at other places, I think that's probably one of the most fair, I won't say like arguments, but like cases that that you could make. That's actually like factually based. And I try not to do this with what I see from like Longhorn Nation or anybody, any fans on on social media or anything like that. But social media, when it when it gets to the point where it's overwhelming, where every post I look at or every tweet I see comments, whatever is like an overwhelming amount of people saying one thing with like the emotional hire like that. That's, that's just why that was why I got. So, I mean, maybe emotional is not the right word, but just passionate about it, annoyed about it is because it's just, it was just like the easiest argument. And look, maybe in hindsight in two years, I'll be agreeing with those people and I'll be saying, Hey, you know, they, but, but I, I don't think I will because all the points that you made too are totally valid where, I mean, the guy earned the right to at least test drive this out. And, you know, they, you got to give him the full contract. Otherwise he's a lame duck coach and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like who else were you going to go get? Like there would have been like, you could say there would have been uproar if they hadn't hired him. There would have been immediately, but if they had gone out and made a really good hire after that, then people would have been fine. But I can't even think off the top of my head, like, who would have made so much sense that you would just immediately forgot about Rodney Terry during that, that hiring cycles. <laughs> so get like just, re- and I'm not always the guy that's like fans just need to, to rally behind this guy or whatever, you know, like I'm not, I'm not that guy that's saying like just blind loyalty, but I, I think for now, like just give these, give these guys a chance, give this team a chance. And you know, if you don't want to watch then then don't watch. <laughs> But 
I think about the whole emotional hire thing, and I understand how it's framed is off base. But guess what? It could also be a little a little bit of an emotional hire, and that can be an okay thing. Like emotion has to do with feeling. When you when you really think about, it, you sit down and you watch last season and see how things played out, and watch what this team was still able to accomplish, even having dealt with such adversity. It felt like the right thing to hire Rodney Terry. That doesn't make it a huge negative. That doesn't make it a strike against the decision. It means that it's a factor into what it what went into bringing the guy aboard. And by the way, look, I understand if Rodney Terry were to get fired at the end of the season, Texas is well within its right to do that too. They might be putting themselves behind the eight ball because other guys are looking at this program saying, wow, they, they got rid of that guy pretty quickly. He's a good dude. And it was a, a weird hand that he was dealt with year this year with all the production he lost and losing out on both of his highly prized recruits. There will also be plenty of guys lining up to take this gig because you know you have incredible resources to get the program turned around pretty quickly. And the but expectations. That's what a fire him this year, though. Like, that would be all within the right. They would owe him the money that they owed him. They would wish him the best. And I, I don't know what sort of reference he's getting from Chris Del Conte at that point. A good reference in terms of being a high character guy. He'll find another job, though. Um, and Texas will probably have shorted him on the uh, totality of the opportunity. But as Cooter and a lot of other people are pointing yeah. out right now, the fans don't enter the equation. When we're talking about the product that's on the floor, the team that's out there right now is absolute garbage. Can't argue with that. This team has no. not been very good. They could very easily be 0 and 4 to start conference play with six straight ranked opponents on the schedule. Yeah. And they not come back and beat Cincinnati in Cincy a week or so ago. Yeah. And look, maybe I'll, like, I, I totally agree with that. Like, the way they played at the end of that game was horrible. Like, it was, and, and I mean, the guys, the guys on the floor would admit that. Rodney Terry would admit that. And, you know, they've got a really slim margin of error with the games coming up next to fix this thing and get this thing on the right track. But, um, you know, and, and Trey, you said we kind of differ on this. Like, I think there's still some semblance of a chance that they, that they turn this thing around, but I really do think, um, the way again, not the horns down thing, but I, I think Rodney was trying to get his team's attention with that and, uh, could be looking too deep into it, but we'll, we'll, we'll see if it works the way that they play because it's totally cliche, but they, they haven't put together a full 40 minutes and like, that's an issue. You're, you're going to lose when you play in teams like UCF, you're going to lose games like that. You can get away with that against, they kind of did that against Texas state kind of did that against AM Corpus. You can pull away late against teams like that. If you start slow or hold on, if you, you know, like the Texas state game where they were up big and then almost let them back in it, but you can't do that against conference teams. you got to, you got to play a full 40 minutes and, you know, it is, it is fair to, to call coaching into question when it's guys not playing hard. So, I mean, I, I, this is, this is not me saying that there should be no criticism of him. It's not that it's just saying like, give the guy a little bit of support, especially for the time being like, let him do his job for a little bit. So the next six games, you have three <laughs> games, three away games. I love that. This is where the Texas fans are at right now with this. They'll snap. Ike said they'll snap an eight-game losing streak against West Virginia. <laughs> and hey, and guess what? They'll avenge that loss. <laughs> they will have avenged the loss against one of the worst teams in the conference. 
I like your thought though about him trying to provide a spark for this basketball team. I just hope it didn't backfire because it was looked at even even if it's even if it's an overreaction, it's looked at as such an embarrassing story if guys don't get more disengaged as a result. But these dudes have a ton of love and respect for Rodney Terry. So hopefully pride kicks in because watching that team go through the handshake line and walk off the floor a couple days ago, it looked like a bunch of guys who didn't give a shit. I hate to say yeah. that. So hopefully Rodney Terry helps to provide that spark, even if it meant him having to eat a little bit of shit in the process. I think if it works, he'll be more than happy to deal with whatever stuff people have said about him on social media and on talk radio and Texas sports unfiltered and other places the last, last few days. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's funny, Trey, I also, one thing that I think is, is interesting. They usually will do some sort of media availability when they play to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to preview the Saturday game, especially when that Saturday game is against the team like Baylor at home. And there were uh, there was nothing in my email inbox about a uh, media availability with Rodney Terry uh, yesterday or today. Oh, so, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that happens 100% of the time, but it is very common for them to do a media availability then previewing the next game. Weird. So I think they were probably again this is this is just me totally speculating, but there was they were probably just like yeah, we'll just let him answer questions about that after the game. I'm seeing on Twitter that Terry did the coaches show with Craig last night at Pluckers. Well, that's that's contractually obligated. I I understand that, but I'm wondering if Craig asked him about that or if he spoke on that at all. Yeah. I'm not sure we'd have. Now I'm going to need to go back and, and grab that shit or at least listen for it. Yeah. Like, Cause I was two hours ago. Well, I knew we were going to talk about this obviously. So I, I figured I was like, Oh, if they do a media availability, I'll pull a soundbite for us or something like that. to show him, him talking about it. Nope. Nothing for my shows on the news tonight. Nothing for Texas sports unfiltered. <laughs> Wow. But maybe they just felt like, and again, I, I personally don't mind. Um, I mean, I, I don't have that piece of video of those guys doing that. And also I think it's just gotten to the point where it's been talked about enough that yeah. I don't really think it needs to be, at least in our, our platform on, on the news needs to be a huge portion of the story. But Trey, you know what? Uh, actually I did do have tonight is an interview with Longhorn legend, Logan Eggleston. Oh, hell yeah. About the uh, about the League One volleyball, the professional volleyball league that they're starting up in the preseasons in November. Yeah. And Austin's one of seven cities that's getting a franchise. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. Has he been playing in Europe for the past year? Turkey. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I had uh, I had spoken with her briefly. My daughter, when they won the championship last year, we went out to the t- tower lighting and my daughter wanted to talk to her most because she was the best player on that. Yeah. Team. She was a fucking force, but I uh, went up and like my daughter got pictures with her all nervous. And afterwards I was like thanking her for helping to instill a sort of school pride with my kids. First time they've ever gotten a route for a, cha- a national championship like that. And so she, you know, as she was probably chit chatting with everybody else, she was talking about how she wasn't going to be back and get to go play overseas. So I'm glad that she got to do that. Uh, it being in Turkey makes me a little bit nervous as an Armenian, but that's okay. 
But I'm also uh, very excited that she's going to be a part of the the American League too because um, volleyball is fucking huge. Indoor volleyball is huge overseas. Yeah. Huge in Eastern Europe especially. I think it's pretty big in Russia as well. So I would love to see something like that catch on here in the States. So I I did not realize – you know, just stuff that you don't really think about. Like there's really no professional opportunities for them here. Like I'm not as into volleyball as you are. So I just, you know, I didn't really know like what happens with these Longhorn legends, you know, like uh, whether it's a, this year, a Madison Skinner and Asia O'Neill. Like I didn't really realize that essentially their only option to keep playing at the level they want to play at and make a viable living is to go overseas and play somewhere like in Turkey or, um, I don't know other kind. You probably know more of the other countries that are that are pretty big in in that in that space of the sport. But yeah, if this league, I mean, it's one of those where you never know with a startup league, but you hope it you hope it works out. And fingers crossed. And, yeah, the exception for playing volleyball in the states and making money to do so, it's not great money, by the way, but you can make money. Is the uh, AVP the mm. beach volleyball league? But there's probably people. I mean, not that Logan wouldn't be awesome at that or other UT players that play indoor wouldn't be great at that. But to get paid to do that, there's probably other people at program, you know, D1 college programs. Now, obviously, Texas has a program now, which is going to be awesome when they start. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe USC, UCLA, some of the other actual places with beaches where they play beach volleyball all the time. The opportunities are probably more, more there for them. But it's funny you say that about the AVP. I've gone out and done a couple of stories when they've when they've been out here yeah been- they, they skipped this last year which i think is a huge mistake austin has a um a rabid beach volleyball community i'm not just saying that because i play beach volleyball they, when avp brings events here it typically sails out it's so far inland though that it just became not worth it for having to transport the sand and all, all the other stuff that you're having to do now, granted they play on the east and west coast so it's not like they're having not having to make that drive anyhow but like no, they played in New Orleans this last year. It's a place that they've gone to pretty regularly. It's like, really? You play in New Orleans and not Austin? Austin's yeah. Cool. New Orleans is a fine place. Austin's way cooler and way better suited, I would argue, for beach volleyball than New Orleans is. Um, but uh regardless of whether or not they get more beach volleyball here, uh, to get that indoor league, where are they gonna be playing? H E B Center? Yeah, I don't know if they have uh all those details ironed out yet. Like they're just starting the process of I want to say within the last couple of days announcing the league and then announcing the teams and different players and trying to do, you know, trying to assign them players that make sense and will be big draws in certain markets. Obviously like Logan would be here given the fan base that you right. see at Gregory gym on, you know, home match nights and stuff. So, but she was, I mean, like you mentioned your, your story of your daughter getting to go talk to her at the, at the tower lighting. She was awesome. Yeah. Like she was a fantastic interview. I know we've done stuff, you know, interviews with her media availabilities and, and all those kind of things. She spoke on, you know, on behalf of the program at press conferences at NCAAs and, and all that good stuff. But to actually get to speak to her one-on-one, that was the first time I've done that. And she was fantastic. And you could tell she's super passionate about, about Texas, about volleyball, about the opportunity here, the growth of the sport. It was a good, good chat. Maddie Skinner struck me as a similarly good interview too off of this year's team. Now, granted, I only started paying attention in the tournament, but whenever she would take the mic or take the headset, 
after games. I, I really enjoyed that. Like she was earnest. She obviously had the moment after winning the championship where uh, thinking about her journey brought tears to her eyes. But yeah, I could see her as having a future on the broadcasting side if she wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she was great this year. And Asia O'Neill the same way. And, you know, there were two of the two of the better players and then two of the better talkers, too. So that's who they're going to put out to speak for the program. I don't know how much you guys went out and covered volleyball. Did you ever talk to Jermaine, though? Covering? No. Um, so, I mean, he was at basically every game. But, no, we never, we never were able to do that story. But it was really cool to see just a given – my fandom for basketball growing up and him being part of that era of when I really fell in love with the NBA and was at my, probably my most pure form of being a sports fan where I could understand what was going on enough. And I was playing, I a couple seasons of basketball under my belt being like what, 10, 11 years old, but then also not old enough now to be at the point where, um, I mean, I still enjoy it, but, to where you, you get older and you know it, some of the some of the passion wanes away a little bit and you've you know work in this industry you're gonna kind of see both sides of it and that it is a business so yeah it was really cool to see him at all those matches and see how crazy he was going and how into it like they kept cutting to him on the national championship broadcast obviously you saw it like in his the highs and lows of his emotions and made me feel a little bit old being like dang Jermaine O'Neal has a daughter who's one of the best volleyball players in the country and she's a fifth year senior. <laughs> Crazy. I was like, man, that makes me feel I'm not old, but that makes me start to kind of feel old. Makes oh, me understand why people say that. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking back to that era, although I was a little bit older than you, obviously. Jermaine O'Neal was from that time where guys could go straight from high school to the pros. He was one of the last ones, right? One of the last ones. And I feel like if you were to construct a team, let's say, let's call it a 12 man roster of like the all straight from high school to the pros team he's on there somewhere he may be a starter but at the very least he is on that team somewhere because there were plenty of duds there were plenty of flameouts. there were plenty of Darius Mileses out there and guys who were even worse off than that Jermaine O'Neal had a long successful career uh yeah and a, a multi-all-star too multi-all-star I'm guessing he made first team all NBA or was on one of those teams at least a handful of times so who who would be the first picks on that team? And again, I forgive us, we're just throwing this out off the top of our heads. But the first three that come to mind for me are Kobe, LeBron, KG. Oh yeah, KG. Yeah, that's a good one. Where you think but it was just somebody else? Talking, were... I think if you're talking first overall, it's got to be either Kobe or LeBron, right? Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I'm going Kobe, y'all. <laughs> Got to be Kobe over LeBron. Kobe has the heart of a warrior. Yeah, I'm. I mean, obviously, I'm pretty biased. I know LeBron's a Laker now, but like Kobe's the Laker, like the ultimate Laker. So. The ultimate Laker. Yes. Yeah. Best high school, best NBA guys. I don't. Know, I don't know if you saw me almost fall out of my chair right there. What you're talking? I accidentally hit the you know the lever at the bottom that go up and down. I hit the lever with my heel and just shot almost shot myself off the chair. Well, I'm bummed that I was actually typing in to find out the best high school <laughs> NBA players of all time. 
Oh, that's why I got back in my chair. Probably looked at you like, uh, like you're crazy. I'm gonna have to go back and watch the tape once we're over. Uh, once we're done in the next 15 <laughs> minutes. All right, I'm scrolling to the best high school to NBA guys of all time. This list has to be better than this. Come on. Who do we have? All right, I'm I'm, I'm to number one. Kobe number one according to okay. StadiumTalk.com. That's fair. LeBron two, KG yeah. three. Good call by you. Yeah. Moses Malone four. Yep. Oh yeah. Ike just put that in the comments. T Mac five. God, man. It, yeah. You no, know, it went downhill for him quickly. Up to that point, he was ridiculous. Dwight Howard at six. Amari Stoudemire at seven. Okay. Jermaine O'Neal at eight. Tyson Chandler at nine. Yeah, straight out of Compton Dominguez High School. He turned out to have a really good career. Rashard Lewis at 10. Supersonics legend. (laughs) Ailey Felsick. Ooh, Sean Kemp at 11. Sean Kemp is better than 11, isn't he? I mean, is he better than any of those other guys? Like, that was kind of before my time. He went from so explosive to so fat in such a short amount of time. But prime Sean Kemp is an easy top fiver here. I'm taking him over. Oh, I'm going to reserve some words here, but I'm taking them over Dwight Howard. I can guarantee you that much. Prime Sean Kemp versus prime Dwight Howard is a no-brainer to me. Monta Ellis, 12. Oh, yes. Jackson, Mississippi legend. It, it kind of goes downhill here. Lou Williams, 13. Lemon Pepper Kendrick Lou? Kendrick Perkins, 14. He went straight at it because isn't he from Beaumont? Yeah, Beaumont Ozen. Yeah, he did go straight out. Baby Shack is what they used to call him. That was yeah. not exactly accurate. J.R. Smith, 15. Al Jefferson, 16. Josh Smith, 17. Al Harrington, 18. Sean Livingston. I didn't realize Sean Livingston was straight from high school. Interesting. Uh, he's 19, and Gerald Green is 20. He was also a Houston kid. Okay. So there you yeah. have that, that list got mediocre pretty fast. Well, we could be... Yeah, I was gonna say we could be mean and do the the list of not good guys that where that decision did not pan out well. All right, <laughs> NBA guy straight from high school, biggest bust. Let's see what happens here. I mean, I guess you know. See, I think of a guy like like Kwame, Kwame Brown. Yeah, but he actually like I don't think you can call a guy a total bust that plays in the NBA for like didn't he play in the NBA for almost a decade? And people, you know, people use that term a little too loosely sometimes, I think, where, yeah, you if a guy comes out of high school and he's a n- number one overall pick or whatever, then you, sure, you're going to expect him to be a star. But if that guy, to me, you're not a bust if that guy just turns into, like, a really successful rotational player with a long career. He is number one on this list, but he did play 12 years. Yes. Averaging nearly seven points and five and a half boards. Well, that's not super overwhelming, but it's not overwhelming, but it's not like biggest high school to NBA bust of all no. time either. No, no, no. no. I, I totally agree. Yeah. If you let, that's what I was just saying. If you stick around in the league for 12 years and you're, you're playing, you're on the floor and you're getting a paycheck. Like it's hard for me to call you a bust. Number two, that's, is a good bust candidate, Robert Swift. Yeah. Jonathan Bender. Don't even know. I don't even know who that is. Desanya Jop. Oh, yeah. 
Darius Miles, God, Darius Miles is always my favorite example. I mean, that guy, he was such a fucking punk ass. Clipper legend of the league. Darius Miles. He was such a he was such a young, cocky POS. And he played. So I was go ahead. I was a kid during during that era when he was a the couple years that he was a clipper. Mm-hmm. And there were some like some of my buddies loved that clipper team. It was like Darius Miles, Corey Maggetti. Uh, God, Richardson, Richardson, Q, yeah, Q Richardson. Um, who did he's the one that kind of first guy I remember doing that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, like doing the three, three ball. Um, yep. and then old, old candy, Michael Old Candy, Candy Man, yeah, dude, they had some good teams, but that was kind of what the Clippers always were when I was growing up. Was they were they were the sizzle, but the Lakers were the steak, yeah. But the Lakers had some sizzle too. I shouldn't act like that was like a real blue collar bunch there. <laughs> they were the shit. Well, yeah, your time they were the Showtime <laughs> Lakers, and then the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Yeah, they were tough. Uh, Eddie Curry is on this list. That's probably deserved. Martell Webster. Lee, I don't even recognize half these guys. Leon I was going to say, I, I, I maybe I'm uh, I'm losing some credibility as a sports fan here. There's some dudes you mentioned on there that I haven't I've never even heard of. Corleone Young, I barely remember that name. Like Bender, I don't, I don't remember that dude. And do you, I actually do remember Jonathan Bender because I thought he was going to be better than he was. I feel like he participated in a slam dunk competition or something. How old is that dude? Yeah, there were some busts. Oh gosh, he he'd probably be around forty now. An opportunity 42, to 42. interview him recently. Yeah, he's got a new new company that I cannot recall for the life of me what what it was all about but he was offered up and I'm like yeah I don't want to bring up uh old negative things like why he didn't make the NBA but then again he's trying to do something for himself by uh by starting a new business so and good on him for I mean hey if you need to answer a couple questions about that to get the publicity that some other people wouldn't be able to get because they don't have the name recognition then I respect that it's all part of the game Exactly. All's, all's fair. Exactly. I'm not seeing it in my, not seeing it in the uh, the old email either. So I must have deleted it. Well, Trey, before uh, before we go, should we talk about a couple of Longhorn football editions that people hope will 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 not be bus? I've been considering turning things in that direction for a few minutes now. I'm glad <laughs> you did. This is the this time we got left is the perfect segment of time to do it. I think, but. Yeah. You know, of the guys they've announced over the last couple of days, who who are you most excited about? I mean, I guess you can take that all the way back to to you know when Matthew Golden and Makuba and those kind of guys, but we we have already spoken about those guys. Yeah, so we're we're talking about Nye Black, uh, Nye Black, Silas Bolden, Blackshire, yeah, Bolden, and then Isaiah Bonds. Yeah, we can throw Isaiah Bond in there. Because Isaiah Bond was last weekend after you and I spoke. Probably Silas Bolden right now. Just because he's undersized, but he's one of those ferocious undersized guys who I think I'm I'm really going to enjoy watching him uh, make guys, uh, shake guys out of their shoes. The explosive plays. There's going to be a Swiss Army knife element to him. But I'm excited about all these dudes with the exception of Blackshire. Like Blackshire is more of a special teams guy. Maybe he provides depth for you at linebacker. 
But those three receivers, man, it's when yours has to be smiling a big smile heading into this weekend. Cause I'm not saying that this group is going to be better than his pass catchers in 2023, but they have a chance to help this passing attack, not skip a beat to start 24. Yeah. As I, as I do uh, too often for some people's liking, I, I just, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on some of the, just some of the reactions I've seen. Like I, I like all the guys that they've picked up, but like people acting like this is some sort of unprecedented portal hall from Sark, at least like at, I don't know, at, at the receiver position, like these are still guys that, I mean, Silas Bolden's a fifth year guy and had what six, 700 receiving yards last year. And I do like what he's going to be able to bring in the return game. And I think golden uh, Craig way will be saying a lot of Bolden and golden back to receive. So that'll be fun. But those two oh. guys, uh, or is it bond or is bond the other returner? No, I think it's golden. And well, I know Bolden definitely is a, is a punt return threat for sure. Bold, Bolden and golden. Yeah. Like any, any of the pass catchers that I'm most excited about, it is Matthew golden first. Yeah. Most. But also like I saw people kind of, I thought overreacting a little bit to uh, Nye black yesterday. Like the guy had 325 receiving yards in his second season at Alabama guys. Yeah. And I know Jalen Milrow played better at the end of the year, you know, and maybe some people say he wasn't exactly like, you know, lighting it up or um, passing wise, but I think he still passed for almost 3000 yards, maybe more. So he accounted for 300 something of those yards. I mean, let's just, let's just slow down a little bit. And I, I say that more from the point of, I want to see how some of these younger receivers develop for Texas. Like I want to make sure that those guys get the opportunity because I think they all have potential to do what Bolden, Golden, Bond have done at other places. I mean, Golden had, what, 450-something receiving yards this year? Like, and, and I know A.D. Mitchell's stats were not overwhelming last year, but you knew the program he was coming from, and you knew that he was a projected first-round pick, and you knew that he didn't have a 1,000-yard season because he couldn't stay healthy. So, and but then you would go back and go, oh, four catches in, you know, the biggest games. He shows up in these these huge games, so... Um, I, I like the additions that, that Texas has brought, but I am, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on all these guys just being like the best player to ever play at Texas. Boy, that is an interesting observation you just made about Matthew Golden. For some reason, I thought I had heard that he was in that seven to 800 yard range like Silas Bolden had been, but you're right. Each of the last two years, 38 catches two years ago, he had nearly 600 yards last year. It was just 400 yards. He had yeah. And I'm, his best game of the year was against the Longhorns, seven for eighty-eight with two touchdowns. Well, that, that's all. That's all I was saying. Like, I'm not. It's not diminishing the contributions that these guys could have. It's just saying, like, let's keep the expectations kind of where they need to be. Because even Bond, like, he caught that touchdown on fourth and thirty-one. Like, he only had four touchdowns last year. So. You know, nothing that I look at with any of these guys is like they're great pickups, but I don't think any of these guys makes me go like, oh, my gosh, like this is overwhelmingly amazing. And also the interesting thing this year that I want to see is does Sark break the tendency that he's had the last two years of really only playing three guys? Because, I mean, he only he only played three receivers like Jonte Cook was the fourth guy, fourth true receiver in that in that group. And he has like, he had like 10 catches last year. So I, I don't think that you're going to see 
Bold and Golden and Bond all come in and just immediately take those three roles. So I wonder if Sark's going to rotate receivers more than he has during his time at Texas because I want to see what Jontae Cook can do. Everyone keeps telling me how great DeAndre Moore is. Everyone keeps telling me about Ryan Niblett's you know, potential. Ryan Wingo's coming in, and he's a five-star receiver and could play early on. Like I want to see those four guys develop because I think they could have even more potential than the portal guys Sark's brought in. Agreed, and I hope that this program is – continuing to operate on a sort of meritocracy because that will work itself out. I think if there's a guy on the roster right now, including the transfers who has a chance to be the number one next year, it is Jonte cook. Yes. Matthew (laughs) golden, even with those pedestrian stats might be number two for me. Here's the thing though, is Sark getting too caught up and watching guys have big games against his team. Cause you look at Niblack stats Guess what his longest catch of the year was in one of four touchdowns all year? The fourth quarter touchdown against Texas. That big catch over the middle against Texas where he did make an, a move to make one of those safeties miss, but then you had like three Longhorns running into one another, which allowed him to get into the end zone. He only had one game this last year with over three catches. That was at Mississippi State, three for 61. Every other game is a, a catch or two. And against Michigan... Obviously, a pretty big stage. He had a single catch for six yards. Yeah. So I I think Nyblack is a great pickup. I know Steve Sarkeesian likes to run 12 personnel, so it will be valuable for that. But I like Gunnar Helm a lot as a receiving threat, too. Like, we saw some really positive things out of him, especially when Jatavian Sanders went down and throughout the second half of the season. So I think if nothing else, and I talked with BK about this a little bit earlier, Nyblack it infuses a little bit more competition at that position right. versus it being one guy and a bunch of unknowns after him. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, I mean, he needed to go in and not only infuse some competition, but it was the right move by Sark to go in and get a little bit of proven production at that position. So, I mean, Hey, he got three guys and, and look like we've seen it with other guys just because he goes and gets you out of the portal doesn't mean you're going to play. Like obviously with AD Mitchell, he you know he played a bunch and was arguably the best receiver on the team last year. Um, I mean statistically and touchdowns wise, he definitely was. But you can make an argument or who you like more between Mitchell and Worthy. Um, but yeah, I think going in and and like to your point, infusing competition in that room, but then also, um, I just hope it's not at the expense of giving some of these younger guys an opportunity. Like I see where he was coming from and I think it was important and he made the right decision, but I just hope that some of these younger guys get the chance to, to really show us why the staff was so excited about them in the first place. You want to add experience. I just watched, obviously Niblet is not a good example because you didn't really see him this year. The little bit that I've seen DeAndre Moore, it has always felt like he's at least a couple of years away, but maybe he makes huge strides this off season and, uh, creates a conversation about whether he needs to be considered in that three to four guy mix. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian does have a uh, at least one example in his coaching career of using four guys consistently. You go back to 2019 Alabama. I don't know if you saw this stat floating around Twitter, but it's a pretty insane group of wide receivers in retrospect. But he figured out a way to get the ball to uh, Devontae Smith, to Jerry Judy, to Henry Ruggs, and to Jalen Waddell as well. So there, yeah, I know, right? And this, and look, like maybe that's oh, more. That's to my, maybe that speaks. To, maybe that speaks to most of my point. Trey is like this yeah. group of receivers they have is good. It's not that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's definitely not that. And, and hey, if it ends up being that, I'll I will gladly come on here and eat crow. 
Well, I yeah, I would love to hear you eat crow too because the thing means things have worked out exceptionally well. But yeah. you're, you're probably pretty safe there. Hey, great job today, man! Thank you as always for the incredible conversation. It was a blast. Well, yes, do it, it again. Was. Do it again Monday. Doing it again Monday. Talk to you All at right. three. For Jeff and everybody else at Texas Sports Unfiltered, I am Trey Elling. Thank you so much for tuning in all week long. We will be back on Sunday with the Wagner Wire. After that, 8 a.m. on Monday with Bucky and BK. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend and hook them.